You're listening to the Small Town Monsters Broadcasting Network. You can find out more about this and other network shows, as well as Small Town Monsters films, books, our upcoming Kickstarter campaign, and much more at smalltownmonsters.com. Welcome back to STN Live, everybody. My name is Aaron. I am your host. It is great to see you all tonight. That was a trailer for Bigfoot, The Road to Discovery, which we will be talking about here in the next few minutes. A couple of things to discuss first. We have a new episode of Dark Coast, Hunt for the Alaskan Bigfoot, out right now for squad members, a.k.a. YouTube channel members. Um, Journey's End. This is the final episode of Dark Coast, uh, at least for now. Uh, that is not a hint at something that's happening. I, I don't I don't know if Dark Coast is coming back. So check this out. You don't want to miss the premiere. Uh, we'll be talking more about this project over the next couple of weeks. But for right now, definitely check that out. And mark your calendars for February 1st of next year, 2024. We'll be launching the next Small Town Monsters Kickstarter campaign. This is going to get you on the ground level, get you early exclusive access to things like Cryptid, Goatman, uh, Dogman Territory, Werewolves in the Land Between the Lakes, uh, On the Trail of Bigfoot, The Ancients, and Lost Contact. And yes, I just read off the monsters from this graphic here instead of uh, remembering them. So full disclosure, uh, definitely don't miss out on that. We've got a lot of great announcements coming over the next couple of weeks, stuff you guys are definitely not going to want to miss. And speaking of things and exciting stuff, we do have a new episode of The Lore You Know available for you guys, featuring none other than Mr. Eli Watson. You know him as the director of Mysteries and Monsters. He's been featured in tons, tons of small town monsters projects. And he's also the director of a new project that we're going to talk about right now, right this minute. So joining me tonight, once again, at the STM Live virtual studio is Mr. Eli Watson. How are you, brother? Good. How are you, man? Good. Good. Always a pleasure to have you here. I know looking at the comments already, I know people are excited to hear from you. So um, what's going on? How are you doing? Oh, you know, just maxing and relaxing, dude. Is that how do you do that? Is that possible? Um. Yeah, it just involves a lot of me sitting in a chair looking cool. Oh, okay. All right. You, know, you, could, you could try to do it. You know, I think everyone should aspire to be like me because no one can truly achieve that. I don't disagree. Um, I think that's a really valid point. And tonight as we talk, hopefully, hopefully all of us can learn to be a little more like Eli Watson. Um, because really, in our hearts, that's what really matters. Cue some Christmas music in the background. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> shout out to all of our squad members who are watching tonight. Shout out to everybody who's watching tonight. Uh, we've got people from all over, as per usual, which is great. Uh, as always, folks, please drop your questions and comments in the chat. We'll do our best to get to everybody. I've noticed that like the questions from the audience really start rolling in around the 30-minute mark. So... Um, I'm just going to sit here and, you know, fill space until then, unless you got anything to talk about. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no. So we're let's talk about Bigfoot, the road to discovery. I've been excited about this project for a long time. I know other people have been excited for a long time and now we get to share it with the world. Um, but in case somebody's hearing about it for the first time, maybe they haven't had a chance to check out the episode yet. What, what is this? What is going on? Well, it's uh, kind of like, it's kind of a sequel in a way to On the Trail of Bigfoot, The Discovery. And so 
the title is trying to be indicative of that, hence Road to Discovery, um, meaning that the researchers that are showcased have not discovered it, but this is what it's like, the road to discovery, the kind of research that's going into that. And uh, the, the project has kind of went through multiple phases. I kind of conceived it in February of this year and kind of pitched it to Seth as like a 1990s kind of Sasquatch documentary because oh, in maybe before too, because you have like the, the Ivan Marks documentaries from back in the day and some of the Robert Morgan stuff and like Sasquatch Odyssey. Those documentaries are like not at all like the documentaries of their era. And they're just kind of like their own genre. I would almost say that Bigfoot documentaries are their own genre of docu documentary. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I really wanted to replicate that style because I feel like small town monsters hasn't done that. You know what I mean? Like we're, mm -hmm. we're a spiritual successor to that. You know, they're the ones who paved the road for the Bigfoot documentary that we've, we've done so well with. And I wanted to return back to the, to the roots and copy it and everything in style. And, you know, and I feel like that comes through. Sorry. I'm just, I just went on a total tangent, but no, this is really interesting. You and I haven't actually like talked about this project. So I'm, 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 <laughs> yeah. this. I'm hearing all this for the first time. Yeah. Well, I, I wanted the guitar, the acoustic guitar as kind of the background music and, um, because I think that captures a sort of essence, right? You know, and you have the, the opening credits with just the mountains and the, the music and all the titles fade onto the screen. Nothing's dramatic like that. And I feel like that, that almost sets the scene like an old school nature documentary. And then couple that with the vast majority of this documentary and this series is not going to have any background music at all. And I think there's less than 10 minutes of like score, if that's what you want to call it in this episode, mm -hmm. there's like no music. And I feel like that's something that also isn't done very often, like, especially with mysteries and monsters coming from mysteries and monsters where there's, there's lots of flashy B roll and there's lots of music all the time this was just total like i wanted to capture this kind of peaceful feeling and as jasmine in the comment section says it's it's a vibe it is a vibe it is a vibe <laughs> <laughs> well even it, it's interesting that the music in the series is going to be minimal because the score in that trailer just gets me pumped dude that trailer we just watched like it's so good. <laughs> yeah. Not that you have to have music, but it's an interesting contrast with how you're how you're putting the episodes together. I like it. Yeah. Well, you know, the trailer well, funny funnily enough, there was a a moment there where the series could have went a different direction, a in more of the style of the trailer actually. Mm -hmm. Um because I'm, t I'm just telling you what is on the screen now and what I'm proud to have created. But for a moment there, there was actually two different versions of the title sequence that I created 
and I could not decide between the two. There's the one you have now, which is the acoustic guitar and the mountains and the scenery. And then there was another one that was very, very dramatic with this, this, it, it opens up like the Lord of the Rings or something like it's this. That's in- exactly the vibe I got when I was watching that trailer. I was like, oh, this makes me want to go on a quest. This is fantastic. Yes, yes. That's that was the original style. I mean, and some of the drone footage I have of going through the clouds and into the mountains, it's like it was insane, dude. I, I was I was going all for it. And I just I ended up going for the acoustic guitar just because I could see that vision more clearly in my head. So, but I, I may return to that really dramatic style in an, another project because I do like it. Yes, yeah. Hughes, Lord of the Rings music. Seriously, the song that I had found straight up sounded like it was from Lord of the Rings. And I was like, there's no way this is like a royalty free song because it sounds like <laughs> a Lord of the Rings soundtrack. I'm supposed to pay somebody for this. <laughs> yeah, that's how it felt. So you you talked you talked about this a little bit a few minutes ago, and maybe maybe I should ask more what inspired you. But um, you know how how did this project come about? How did this thing get off the ground and get going? Yeah, well, I pitched the idea to Seth as a movie, like I wanted to make a movie like Sasquatch Odyssey, just something to to capture that vibe. Uh, which would have been more Lord of the Rings-esque, not what it is now. And it was, I think back in August, I want to say, I got the green light to go ahead and make this like a full-length series, like a six-episode series. And I will kind of tease this out a little bit, but there might be more than six episodes eventually. So. but yeah, I mean, so it happened fairly recently. It was in August, and then September I went out and shot it. And the other thing, too, is I was in a particular place. that I don't know if this documentary could have been made by anybody else than myself because of where I was at mentally when I made it, who I was with, you know, the Olympic Project. I'm, I'm actually very close with all of them and i knew that i could ask any question i wanted to and they would respond truthfully and without getting offended and Mm -hmm. so the first episode is kind of like bringing the audience up to speed on what's going on but you'll see in further episodes um the questions become much more personal of a personal nature about what looking for sasquatch means to these people and why they look for Sasquatch, you know, and I know I can do that with the Olympic project. You can't do that with everybody in this field. Otherwise they'll get offended, you know, but it's, uh, another big thing that I deal with in this series as a whole is the concept of burnout. What happens when you burn out research wise or topic wise, and that's where I was when I made the series. I was burnt out. And thankfully, I've recovered from all that now. But um, to be able to discuss that with other people and they're sharing their answers as to how they overcome that and 
how they feel when they're in that burnout stage is like, again, that's one of the things that makes this thing unique and super, like super personal to me. I, Mysteries and Monsters is my passion project, but this one is closer to my heart because there was just a lot of me that went into it. So, hmm. Well, I think that shows too, you know, the responses that I've seen so far to the first episode, people, people are really excited about this. They're receiving it really well. So I think I know all of us are really excited to see what comes next for sure. It's really, <laughs> really good, really good stuff, man. Um, we will. Yeah, of course. We, uh, we will talk more about the Olympic project in a few minutes here. We got a couple audience questions. Uh, BH asks, Eli, what other cryptids are you thinking of researching as well as documenting in your shows for the future? Well, now, we don't want to get too ahead of ourselves. <laughs> Eli leans back, cracks his knuckles. <laughs> you know, uh, there's a couple coming down the pipe that I'm really interested in digging into. One being uh, living pterosaurs. And I have a lead on that that I'm not going to share here. But uh, there is also one particular cryptid, and I use cryptid loosely because it has been confirmed a hoax, a little critter known to the people of northern Wisconsin. Um, <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, just look up cryptids of Wisconsin and he'll be... Is that the thing on this sticker? Yeah. <laughs> oh dang we didn't plan that that just happened <laughs> yeah <laughs> so those two for sure i can say right now very cool very cool i think i think this is just a comment i'm going to make off the cuff i think studies of cryptids and cryptid cases that are proven to be hoaxes i think they're just as important in different ways uh, you know as true research into things that we think may be real for a number of reasons, but I would love to see an Eli Watson Hodak project. Just saying. <laughs> it's in the works. <laughs> uh, Wyatt Gannon asks, what does Bigfoot look like? Hello, Wyatt Gannon. I see that you referred to me as the cowboy in another comment. But uh, Bigfoot is reportedly anywhere between six to eight feet tall. Some reports say even taller than that. Uh, all covered in brown, black, sometimes reddish brown hair, uh, human-like hands, human-like feet, walks on two legs. Um, the face is described as more or less human-like, although the hair does not cover the face. So kind of like, like an ape or a gorilla where the hair doesn't, you know, come onto their face. So, so that's pretty much what it looks like. I heard a description recently, um, speaking with someone in uh, land between the lakes pretty much everything you just said but they specifically described the face as being like just very unpleasant to look at very uh i'm trying to remember the adjectives they used but it wasn't a friendly thing it was very much like a scary unpleasant i don't want to look at this anymore type of thing which i thought was interesting I'll hear that yeah before. well if i may i've been rolling around this idea in my brain for a little while now because people just say that it looks human-like and what does that mean because <clears throat> if you look at or or like you know the face is human-like it has intelligent eyes or something like that but if you look at a chimpanzee or a gorilla they also have intelligent eyes you can see that they 
understand, they have an understanding, you know, but I think the big differentiator between a gorilla or a chimpanzee in terms of facial structure is the fact that their noses are exposed, right? And Sasquatches reportedly have covered noses. And I wonder if that goes a long way to kind of making them look more like us. So maybe they don't actually look like us, but they look more like a gorilla or a chimp with a covered nose. It's hmm. an interesting thought. Something to be said for the uncanny valley too, you know, just something that's not quite where it's supposed to be to overly simplify the concept. But it's like, I mean, my dad's favorite animal at the zoo is the gorilla. And it's because of that uncanny valley effect. I mean, this thing's got five fingers just like us, and it's sitting mm -hmm. there picking its nose just like we would. Yeah, they know? can walk around. They use yeah, they use implements it's, for things. It's, yeah, it's weird, you know. It's but the, the, like you said, there's a a deep fascination with that. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, fascinating stuff. Kind of, kind of on that same piggybacking off that same question, uh, Victoria Bright asks, uh, "Do you believe that they gray as they age?" I think so. I think, you know, um, there's reports of white Sasquatch. There's reports of grayer Sasquatch. You know, older Sasquatch with grayer hair. I've heard reports like that. Um, a lot of animals start to kind of gray as they age. You know, so I don't see why not, you know. Yeah, makes sense if we're talking about an animal. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, yeah, assuming we're talking about an animal. But I, again, we don't know that much about them, so I can't speak to it. But yeah, I think they gray. Yeah, so. love that. Uh, Vicky says, this isn't so much a question, uh, but it is a comment that I definitely want to throw up here. Uh, Vicky says, the Olympic project is so important and they're doing such good work. So glad you are doing these films. Um, I agree with that very strongly, <clears throat> but I'd like to talk a little more about the Olympic project because, you know, everyone may not necessarily be familiar with them. Um, so who are they? <laughs> <laughs> Well, the Olympic Project was founded by Derek Randalls and I think Richard Germain back in 2008. And Derek Randalls is kind of the public face of it, or more was back in the day. Now it's kind of Shane Corson who takes the lead on that. But they are a Bigfoot research project based out of Washington State, and uh, specifically the Olympic Peninsula, hence the name Olympic Project. And the I, initial idea was to be a camera trap project. So they had 60 game cams somewhere in that ballpark set up on ridges across the Olympic Peninsula in an attempt to capture footage of Sasquatch because the going hypothesis was that Sasquatch follows the ridges hmm. uh, and uses the ridges to traverse, just like a lot of other predators do, you know, mountain lions, bears, and things like that. And as far as I know, they didn't capture anything in those early days, and they kind of shifted to other methods of research. And so as my documentary shows, once they found the nest site in 2015, that's kind of where most of the research has been focused on, was mm -hmm. nest area research. So, yeah. Basically, short answer is they're a Bigfoot research group. <laughs> <laughs> what about, because there are a lot of Bigfoot research groups out there. Um, 
you know, to varying degrees of, of things, <laughs> commitment level, let's say. There are different commitment levels, different approaches. Um, what about the Olympic project do you feel is unique or particularly effective in, in what they do? Well, you know, I think the Olympic project focuses on certain areas. They have, mm -hmm. I think, five or six specific areas that they return to on a regular basis, the nest site being one of them. And I also think what helps the Olympic project is the fact that they are small. They're a small group. I think if we're counting all the members, it's about 36 people. And then oh, wow. the people out in the field are even less than that because everyone in the Olympic project has a different, um, specialty and so some are better at analyzing data some are better at analyzing photographs so those people aren't all out in the field so the actual people getting out in the field is, is a very small group and I'm, i mean like five or six people are regularly out in the field oh wow and i think what that does is that it removes a pretentiousness i think there's a tendency for people in the Sasquatch community to be like, oh, this is my research. This is, this is what, you can't have this. They don't want to share. They don't want to do this, that, and the other. And um, part of that I can understand because part of that is, okay, you have this data. You want to analyze it before you share it, you mm -hmm. know, but there's also the person that seems to show up in every single comment thread that says, oh, I have the best video evidence of Sasquatch, but no one's ever going to see it. And it's like, okay, yep. so you don't have anything. <laughs> yeah. I've, been, I've been seeing a lot of those lately. Yeah, yeah. That, is, that is a thing that happens. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's just refreshing for me with the Olympic project that there is uh, seemingly an, an entire organization to be removed from that pretentiousness, you know? And it's like, bigger groups, you know, I've met individual researchers that were very, very cool in other groups, but as a whole, the organization might not be, you know, great. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that's, and that's yeah. And the way you're describing it, you also have a specialization of tasks. It sounds like if you have people who are field agents, if you want to put it that way, and then you have people analyzing this data set, other people analyzing that data set. I think that's something that is really valuable too. Cause like, if I go out and start conducting my own Bigfoot research, I'm going to be the guy doing all that stuff and I don't specialize in any of it. So right. that's really exciting. That's really encouraging when you see this data coming from a group that is, you know, like you said, kind of removed from some of the more maybe political aspects of the Bigfoot field, if we want to use that word, but is sure. also very specialized in their approach. That's something I think is worth, is worth pointing out. Yeah. I mean, Chris Spencer is like, he focuses mostly on audio, and then you have uh, Shane Corson, who's a hunter, you know, and he's good at tracking things. And then you have um, Rebecca Slick, who is very, very conscious and aware of animals, animal species, plants and plant species, plant types, you know. So, I mean, Rebecca is seriously the one you want to have around in a pinch because she knows everything around you. 
you know, mm. she knows if that plant's poisonous or not. So, you know, so, yeah, that's what I'd be out there. I'm going to, I'm going to poison myself. I'm going to yeah. get eaten by something. Yeah. Those are the right. people you need. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So everyone's got their own unique skill set, And like you said, that's, it's pretty important. This is the way you describe it. This is the premise for like the ultimate Bigfoot action movie. I don't know if you realize that, <laughs> but that's what you just pitched to us, whether or not you meant to. Speaking of uh, Chris Spencer, SoCal Squatch asks, Eli, who is your favorite researcher and why is it Chris Spencer? Chris Spencer. Yeah, that's uh, Todd Hale. Hello, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, I, I guess... Well, my answer has been chosen for me. It's Chris Spencer, I guess. And, <laughs> and uh, I don't know, Chris, I was very impressed with Chris in September because of his note-taking ability. I know it sounds, oh, a person takes notes, you know, but that's... No, that's, that's a, a marketable skill. No, that's a real... It point. is. Um, because he does it in a way, because I have met far too many researchers who go out in the woods and they're like, oh, I don't even bring an audio recorder anymore because I, I have so much audio. And it's like, okay. Oh, I don't even cast footprints anymore because I find them so often. All right. It's not like that with the Olympic project. And it's not like that with Chris either. Because in order to discover this thing, we need to find the patterns. Mm -hmm. And... and Right, that's that's what the big problem is with Sasquatch. We haven't been able to predict these things with enough accuracy to predict where they're going to be in order for us to discover them or capture one, you know. And so, in order to do that, you got to do a lot of boring note taking and data analysis. You got to keep track of the weather weather patterns. You got to keep track of every little thing that happens. Where when you thought you heard a knock. You know, not necessarily it's a not confirmed, but I thought I heard this. Is that corroborated later by a footprint find? And if so, what was the weather? What was the time of the year? You know, and everything like that will feed into creating a bigger picture where we could possibly predict where these things are going to be and when. And I think Chris has is above and beyond doing stuff like that. And I think his data is going to be highly, highly valuable. And it, it already is, but in the upcoming future, as he releases reports and stuff, it's going to be extremely valuable. Hmm. That's kind of spoken to in the trailer as well. Um, I, I, I can't recall who says it, but someone says, you know, this research is in its infancy. You, you know, really, and especially the way you're describing it, collecting all of this empirical data and cross-referencing it with weather patterns and things like that which i don't think we talk about enough in this community's weather patterns but now that was a that was a very succinct uh answer great great question Todd. <laughs> <laughs> um i have some notes here but the audience questions are rolling in so we're just gonna we're gonna start hitting these because i love them i love them uh everything geronimo asks does bigfoot see an infrared is that why they avoid trail cams because they can see the light it gives off that was actually one of the questions I had for you, Eli, is the, the trail camera question. Why don't we just throw up a thousand trail cameras and then chill for a year? But I think everything Geronimo asked it better. <laughs> well, I don't know if they can see infrared. There's, I don't think the only way to explain the fact that Sasquatch seems to avoid trail cameras, because that's what seems to happen. 
you, you couldn't set up a thousand trail cameras and just chill for a year because you probably wouldn't catch anything. And why is that? Is it because they can see infrared? I'm not, I'm not convinced of that answer. Um, there was a study with chimpanzees in Africa where they set up a trail camera on a, in, on a, like a hunting trail. They knew these chimpanzees would use this path. And so they set up a trail camera on it and they're like, well, the chimpanzees go through here every single day. So we'll definitely catch footage of chimpanzees. Set up the game camera, just like that, chimpanzees stopped using it. Hmm. Why? Is it because they saw them set it up or is it just because there's something foreign in their environment? They see hmm. this weird thing, they don't necessarily know what it does, you know? They've probably been around long enough and seen what humans can do. They've probably seen us hunt before, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, I, I don't want to, like, chimpanzees definitely know that they've been poached by people before, mm -hmm. you know. I don't know if Bigfoot's been poached by people before, but they've at least probably seen us kill a deer or two. Mm -hmm. And so they're aware, hey, that's something that a person probably put up. I don't know what it does, but it's probably not a good thing. And so mm -hmm. they will instinctively avoid it. So I, d I don't necessarily think they see infrared or they see ultraviolet or they hear the electronics on the inside. I just think they don't know what it is and they don't like it. At the very least, they're observing a change in their environment. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. So, hmm. I, I mean, I'm, maybe a thousand trail cameras you could get away with because <laughs> that way, there's just so many. How are they going to avoid it? <laughs> At a certain point, you got to go somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how many cameras is necessary? That's another question, maybe, for one day. Great question, everything, Geronimo. Love it. Um, I'm, we're just going to go in order that these questions are coming in, folks. Some of them are connected to each other. Um, normally, I like to connect them, but I, I, I'm loving this. I'm loving all your thoughts tonight. BH asks, unrelated note, but still interested in asking, what are your thoughts on shadow people? Also, are you interested in investigating the Wendigo and explaining that? Thoughts on shadow people. I don't know enough about shadow people to have many thoughts on that. What I have heard is scary um, as to what their nature is and where they come from. I have no idea. And as far as the Wendigo goes, I would actually be interested in looking into that more. Um, especially because a few years ago I found out, here's some interest in Wendigo lore I'll share with you. But the modern conception of a Wendigo with the horns and the deer skull and this giant humanoid thing, that's totally like made up. That's an internet invention. That's no description of a Wendigo matches that, you know, <laughs> which is, Super fascinating. So then I'm yeah. like, okay. So it originates with a piece of fiction from the early 1900s by Algernon Blackwood, and it was kind of picked up. And and of course, the internet once once the internet got it, it was you know Beast of LBL all over again. But yeah, that's a yeah. that's not a traditional depiction. Yeah, right. Exactly. But the one story I would love to cover is this guy. I think his name was Jack the Wendigo Slayer. He's a real dude, a Native American guy who claimed he and him and his brother would ride around in the Great Lakes area. And Jack the Wendigo Slayer claimed that he knew or could sense when a person was about to become a Wendigo 
And so he would preemptively kill them to stop them from becoming a Wendigo. And I think he killed like 13 people before he got arrested. <laughs> That's and problematic. That, yeah. Like, and that was real. Like, that actually happened. <laughs> so it's pretty wild. You can't be, you can't be, you can't be doing that. <laughs> the Wendigo <laughs> stuff is fascinating and terrifying. The officer, I, they were about to become a deer headed monster. <laughs> <laughs> they would have eaten everyone. I've seen this before. How many times have you done this? Well, you see, officer. Uh, <laughs> great question, BH. Uh, Metallica4567 asks, I live in Maine. Do you guys know of any stories or sightings in Maine? Hmm. I should know of some stories in Maine. I've looked for Sasquatch in Maine with Alex Petikov, but I don't know any stories off the top of my head, and I don't know any specific sightings. But I know uh, there seems to be there's not a whole lot of sightings in Maine, as I understand, but as Cliff Barrickman always describes it, you need two things for a Sasquatch sighting report. You need a person, and you need a Sasquatch. And Maine is lacking in the people department. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, they have, I mean, Maine's actually a very big state. It blew my mind to find out that, like, the vast majority of northern Maine, there's, like, nobody in. Nobody is there. And so, I mean, it's miles and miles and miles of just wilderness area where a Sasquatch could live 24-7, 365, completely undisturbed by humans in Maine. Hmm. And that's the thing. If a Sasquatch is living out there and never gets seen, there's never a report of it. So, so there's nobody to make the report. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, so, I think they're in Maine, though. So to that. be to be continued, but probably it sounds like yes. Yeah. Uh, Agent F asks: Are Sasquatch telepathic at all? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what I'll say, I'll, I'll I'll answer this a little bit. Um, you sure. do have some some native lore um, that that alludes to that, uh, and then you do have some witnesses who will say that that's something they experience in the course of their Sasquatch sighting. But it's one of those things we can't cite a data point for because it's pretty much based entirely upon the report of the experiencer. And then it's as subjective as the rest of that report. But that is something that's talked about with relative frequency. I'll say that. Right. Well, funny, funny, funnily enough, I was reading uh, a phenomenal book by Matt Pruitt called The Phenomenal Sasquatch and where he analyzes uh, legends among native people of the world in terms of, I think he calls it big, scary predators. So animals that are in the top of the food chain, things like tigers, things like bear. And interestingly enough, you'll find in local indigenous lore where any of these large predators that are scary are found, uh, they're given supernatural abilities, the bears, a highly supernatural animal. A bear can also read your thoughts, and so can tigers, and according to indigenous folklore. And so if a Sasquatch matches, you know, it's a big, scary predator. Um, it's also attributed with the same things. But as for uh, the, like, modern stuff, the people experiencing that now, the mind speak thing, I... 
I haven't dug into it enough, so I can't speak to it, right? Mm-hmm. I I don't know. I've I've talked to a lot of people who have experiences with Sasquatch and the really authentic stuff people haven't said anything about the mind speak. And that's not to discredit anyone who's had the mind speak experience, but I have yet to really talk to people who have had that happen to them. Mm in any level of depth i've i've met people who who claim that but i haven't like sat down and interviewed them and talked to them about that particular experience if that makes sense yeah no it does and it might it might be one of those things too that kind of speaks to the subjectivity of the topic because you know telepathy and esp psychic abilities that's something that we don't really understand at all you know we just don't so maybe only certain people are capable of a telepathic sasquatch encounter we just don't know that so mm-hmm. great question agent F. thank you for that um angela ellison asks a really good one uh why are so many things coming out now is it just because we can easily share the info more than ever and they've always been prolific Ooh, uh boy that's a lot of that's a that's a there's questions within questions in this question uh Probably because we can share information more easily now. Um, I think a lot of people are willing to talk now, too. I think the you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and even today, some place, it's such a taboo thing. People don't want to talk about it. And, you know, you get made fun of at work for it, you know. And I've been to places where Bigfoot is seen, and I've been like, hey, Walked into a shop, said, "Hey, you have any Bigfoot experiences?" They're like, "No, Bigfoot's not real. You're an idiot if you go looking for Bigfoot." And it's like, <laughs> "Dude, you live in Washington State. Like, <laughs> what are you talking yeah. about?" <laughs> and so, uh, and while that's a kind of funny story, some people like straight up will lose their job because of it because they're like, "Oh, well, this guy's going out and seeing Bigfoot out in the woods, and how can I trust him to do his job correctly?" Mm-hmm. You know. And that's happened to people. And so people don't come out and share that stuff. And I think we're kind of entering an era where people are more and more willing to talk about it. And I'm not sure what exactly has changed, you know, because on some level it's become more culturally accepted. Mm-hmm. That big thing. Um, but I wouldn't say more people believe in it now than have in the past. People talk about it more now than they have in the past, though. Like, I mean, before Harry and the Hendersons, you couldn't go and get a Sasquatch bottle opener. You know, it's yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's it's a totally different level now. Where Flip Sasquatch- to now, I found Sasquatch pajamas at Ross today. That's not a joke. I actually have. <laughs> well, there you go. See, yeah, you could you couldn't do that a while yeah. ago. So, yeah. I think the information sharing is a big part of that too, though, because you can hear a Sasquatch report. And, and, you know, oh, okay, well, this one person told me this, and I might think this person's credible, but it's just one story. And then you go on the internet and you realize there are 50 other reports out of the same geographical area over the last hundred years, you know, just, just spitballing random numbers. I think that probably has a lot to do with it, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, I will say I shall invoke the name. Let's prepare for the storm. But the BFRO went a long way in changing that, I think, because mm-hmm. the BFRO was the first online database for sightings. People could report a sighting. 
an investigator would investigate it and then they would post the sighting on the BFRO website. And then you mm. could filter sightings by state, by county. And, you know, so if you had something happen to yourself, you could be like, well, geez, I don't know anything about Bigfoot. You go to the BFRO, like, okay, I live in California, in Riverside County. What other, what other stuff is happening here? Mm. And then there it is. There's other reports from there. So, yeah. I was in the BFRO database yesterday, literally yesterday. There you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fun story. Uh, great question, Angela. Thank you. Medavoy, uh, Medavoy, apologies, uh, asks, what is the best video evidence that exists about Bigfoot so far? You know, I have to go with the Patterson-Gimlin film. Uh, I don't think any video we've gotten since has been better than the Patterson Gimlin Bigfoot film. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that's a whole rabbit hole. You could talk a lot about the Patterson Gimlin film, but I think the clarity of it and the clarity of the footage, the circumstances around the footage and just the analysis of the footage too has been incredible. And I think you can superficially, it looks like a person in a costume, but the more you look at it, you realize, Oh, I'm seeing muscles move. I'm seeing hair that isn't always even all over the place. Like you would expect mm. on a costume. It's patchier in some areas like you would see on a great ape. Mm. And then you start doing the size estimates and you realize this thing's like six and a half to seven feet tall and probably about three feet wide. And you're like, okay, that doesn't fit human dimensions either. And you see the way the foot bends and you look at the corroborating evidence of footprints with it as well. And suddenly it's like, okay, this isn't a person in a costume. Yeah. This is something else. And I don't think we've captured footage to beat that. It does kind of beg the question that if it was faked, why haven't we been able to figure out how they did it? You know, as much as technology and filmmaking techniques have advanced over the last few decades, why why can't we definitively say this is a hoax? Well, I mean, the one thing I always point to too, I've been to the Patterson Gimlin film site. I've I've stood right where Patty stood. And the one thing I wondered right in that spot is you have to look at Roger Patterson and Bob Gimlin were from Yakima, Washington, in Washington State. Why would they travel down to Northern California and then be 10 to 15 miles away from the nearest town, out in the middle of the woods, in rugged terrain, down a canyon, <laughs> and then fake a Bigfoot film? Yeah. When they could literally go anywhere in Washington State and fake it. Hmm. And not only that, the, to further add on to that, the, the one person that everyone points to as being the guy in the costume, Bob Peronimus, also lives in Yakima, Washington. He's their neighbor. So it's like, why? Why, <laughs> why to go to such great lengths to hoax a video? Yeah, know? and then leave, leave so many holes in it, like getting a guy right next door who might sell you out instead of a rando from somewhere. Yeah, yeah exactly. It just doesn't, none of it makes any sense to me. Unless, yeah. of course, the obvious conclusion is that it's real. So they went there because that's where sightings had been coming from. And then they accidentally stumbled upon one. And that's certainly what seems to be the case. Hmm. So. 
Great question, Metavoy. Thank you for that. Always good when we can get Eli to talk about the Patterson Gimlet film. Uh, <laughs> that wasn't that wasn't sarcastic. I love that. Uh, Vicky asks: Some people believe they are interdimensional. Do you believe there is any credibility to that view? Sometimes I go back and forth on that. Um, my current leaning is no, it's not. Uh, I don't think there is credibility to that because. As far as I know, there aren't any credible sightings of a person seeing a Bigfoot disappear into a portal. What people report often is that a Bigfoot passed behind a tree and disappeared, or something like, or disappeared in the blink of an eye. But if you are a person who is hiking in the woods, you don't believe in Bigfoot, you suddenly see a Bigfoot, and you're freaking out, your adrenaline kicks in, the fight or flight response. This thing walks behind a tree and then drops down to its stomach onto all fours. And there's plenty of reports of them being seen on all fours. Mm -hmm. And how fast can you drop to being on all four? In less than a second, a person could do it, you know? I don't see why a Sasquatch couldn't drop down to all four uh, in, in less than a second either. And so, yeah, like they said, they get down, they spider crawl. And they're hidden underneath all the underbrush. And to your senses, you just saw this thing disappear. You have no idea what just happened. You know, especially if something's obscuring your view, like a tree. Yeah. So in my opinion, that's like where the disappearing Sasquatch goes. I or, see that. or even reports of, you know, I was having interesting discussions about this in Gatlinburg this year, but um, footprints that disappear in the middle of the field. There seems to be some evidence that these things are possibly aware uh, of their own footsteps. So they'll step backwards into their own footprint. And, you know, maybe that's a little far-fetched, but that's... I don't think so. I don't know. I The one thing I learned that blew my mind is, you know, you think animals are careless about where they step. Yeah, dumb animals like deer, maybe. But we ever watch a cat navigate a dining room table that's covered in china? Yeah, yeah. It, exactly. It, mountain lions are careful not to leave footprints. That's that blew my mind when I found that out. Mountain lions will specifically not step in the mud because they'll leave footprints. And mm -hmm. I don't see if Sasquatch is a predator, which I believe they are, they're not going to purposefully leave footprints which is why footprints are so hard to come by because they're not going to be stepping in the soft stuff because they know it'll leave a footprint behind. And so maybe that's what it is. They're stepping back in their own footprints and therefore the tracks disappear, you know, hmm. but I don't know. I don't know. I don't think they go interdimensional. I think we can explain a lot of things. Um, yeah. <clears throat> It's a great question. That's a great question, though. And it, it also, you know, it's one of those things that, like, Sasquatch is an unknown. Interdimensional beings are an unknown. Um, so it's hard to it's hard to make that comparison, I think. But I, I always enjoy questions about that because why not, you know, also. Yeah. But love it. Uh, Fats Verstappen asks, so theoretically, how would a Bigfoot survive a bear attack? This this makes me think of that show. I think it was on the History Channel. Can't remember what it was called, but it was like Ultimate Battles or something like that. And they were like, what would happen if a samurai fought 
uh, uh, a Celtic warrior or something like that. That's what this makes me think of. <laughs> well, uh, I think it was on Million Dollar Man. They did a guy in a Bigfoot costume fighting a bear. Oh, did they? Like, there's, yeah, it's like a legit. <laughs> it's a dude in a Bigfoot costume fighting a real bear. Oh, God. And Show's I think over, was, everybody. I got to go watch this right now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think it was the bear's trainer, you know, because they trained the bear to be in movies and stuff. And that it was the bear's trainer in a Bigfoot costume, and they were like play fighting for the show. But it's pretty wild that that's like a real thing. <laughs> that's wonderful. That's such a wonderful concept. Why is there not more of that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> as far as, so theoretically, how would a Bigfoot survive a bear attack? Uh, they would throw rocks at it. I don't know if they're able to outrun a bear because bears can run really fast. Bears can also climb trees. Um, I don't know. Who knows? You know, Bigfoot, I'm sure the, if Sasquatch is real, this has happened. And I'm sure. They've gotten into fights, and I'm sure a Sasquatch has won, you know, because you're probably talking about a very strong animal. It probably will break a branch off and stab a bear through the neck. Boom. But Bigfoot slips up sometimes, and the grizzly bear kills him. So I think it all depends on the circumstances of their battle, if you will. Or maybe I'm going to be thinking about this all night. Or maybe they don't fight each other, because uh, a lot of predators won't battle with each other because they recognize that they'll both get messed up and just kind of amicably, you know, keep their distance. Yeah, yeah. So could be that something is, like that too. That is a great question, though. Like how Sasquatch might interact with the rest of the wildlife. That's it's a fun line of speculation. Uh, Michael Tovar asks, Eli, if you would ever spot a Sasquatch, what would be your next step? Approach it or just video from away? I would video from away for a while. And if it was still there after 30 seconds, I would approach. Probably. Maybe. Depends. Let me address something. I've been seeing a lot of comments on this episode, the first episode of my show, talking about, oh, they finally got a chance to film a Sasquatch and then they left because they got scared. They're cowards. And it's like, we're talking about an animal that's potentially six to seven feet tall, walks on two legs, not only approached them, but left them and then circumvented them and circled around behind them. And I think you can forgive people for walking into an unknown area, right? You're in the woods. That's not your habitat. That's not your terrain. And having an animal approach you and circumvent you, uh, I think, would be a very terrifying experience. So I wouldn't be so quick to dismiss uh, the people in the video as cowards because, I mean, they've done some things that would probably very much impress you. And the fact that they couldn't see this creature, the fact they didn't know what this creature intended to do, the fact that they stumbled upon the home area of this creature, I think, did not put them in a very good position. Like they, if you were looking at this militaristically, tactically, they were in a losing situation. They have no visual. They're being surrounded. They've stumbled into the home area of something. And yeah, they can't 
stick around, just hang out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're tactically going to lose. So they left. Um, yeah. And I don't think you can call them cowards for that. So anyways, well, just wanted it's to a, get It's a survival out. response too. And you have people who are trained survivalists, trained outdoors, outdoors people, you know, they're responding in a way that is correct based on their experience and their training too. It's not just a drop the cameras and make a mad flight for home. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, 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 yeah. And it's, it's not like you would walk into a bear den or a wolf den, you know, none of that's smart. <laughs> yeah. Know? You just so, thought not to do that. A, a raccoon approached me in the woods once, and I, I lost my mind. I was terrified. Yeah. So I'm, I'm serious. Yeah. Animals are scary. But, uh, yeah, so I don't know. If, if I were to see a Sasquatch, I might be scared. I might poop my pants. I don't know. Um, <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, that's the thing. It's like part of me wants to see a Sasquatch, and the other part of me thinks it's probably better that I don't. Because if I see one, I'll know 100%, 110% in my mind that it's real. Mm-hmm. And I'll never want to go out in the woods again. <laughs> so, yeah, you kind of have an out right now, right? Like you, you, know, you, you kind of can say maybe this isn't real if you want to. <laughs> maybe it's not real. And then I can put it out of my mind while I go camping by myself. But if I know that it's real, it's like, well, crap. Now I can't do something that I actually enjoy doing. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's off. It's done. Uh, Aaron Sleeper, shout out to our squad member who has a super cool first name, asks, uh, Eli, do you know if Rebecca Slick is related to Tom Slick? Yeah, uh, I do know. Is it? Okay. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The story I hear is that she's not. Okay. We'll see. I don't know. May or may not be a question I was planning to ask her at some point in the future. So, uh, great question. <laughs> <laughs> the, the response is maybe. Uh, Christine Owen asks, could Bigfoot be one of the Nephilim talked about in the Bible? I'm not going to say no. I don't, there. I don't particularly think so. But Yeah. Because... Um, yeah, I don't know how that came to be because we're talking about the Nephilim, Genesis 6-4, I think it is, and it says that they're giants. And I think there is evidence that there were giants, that giants were a real thing. Um, I don't think that they were Sasquatch. I think they were much more like us, humanoid. You know, Goliath, when you look at it, Goliath was, what, nine feet tall? And I think he had Nephilim blood in him as mm-hmm. well. And I think that's, uh, I, I don't want to get super religious here, but the, it's like, I, I don't think it's necessarily, I don't think Sasquatch and Nephilim are the same thing. So, but you know, if that's, that's what floats your goat. It's a, it's another really interesting line of speculation. I feel like I've said that eight times tonight, but yeah, the biblical <laughs> descriptions do seem to, to paint a picture of something that is more human. Um, mm-hmm. And less less in line with an ape, but you know, interesting interesting thought. Uh, Lori Gibbs asks, so I have to ask, what do you guys think? What is Sasquatch? Also, I never get that there is only one or two footprints found. How do they not have a whole way out? Kind of what we were talking about earlier. How they may they may back off, you know, from their same tracks. Something so great, great question, Lori. But um, we haven't covered this tonight yet, Eli. What do you think Sasquatch is? I think big, uh, Sasquatch is an undiscovered 
great ape here in North America. That's as simple as I think it is. Uh, I think there are similarities between uh, other types of great apes, you know, and we're not looking at, I don't think there's a one-to-one -one comparison. You know what I mean? It's like a Sasquatch is its own great ape. So, you know, you wouldn't say, oh, a chimpanzee and a gorilla are exactly alike. You know, I see people in the comments have been making silly, silly little comments about how, uh, oh, well, this doesn't match up one-to-one -one with gorillas, so your theory is invalid. But no, we're not saying Sasquatch is a gorilla, because mm -hmm. it's not. But we are comparing it to gorillas and chimpanzees and to orangutans because if they're all part of the same family, there should be uh, similar attributes, similar behaviors. And that's what we have found is that sometimes they act more like chimps. Sometimes they make nests that are more like gorillas. Sometimes, theoretically, they have home ranges that are more like orangutans. So they share commonalities with the different great apes but they're never one-to-one -one exactly the same. So, anyways, you got me on. Yeah, well, Chris Spencer, Toodle River Valley Skookum. We are apes, too. You're correct. We are. We 100% are. Yeah. We're the only ones that can't seem to survive without running water and penicillin, but that's, that's another topic entirely. We can survive off of raw red meat. But we don't. <laughs> no, because it tastes better cooked. Because <laughs> it tastes bad. <laughs> you know? well, I'm going to go on all raw diet and look like Liver King. I mean, maybe maybe that's the key to unlocking, finding Bigfoot, unlocking. It's a video game, finding Bigfoot. Just just 100% raw caveman everything. You're going to wander out in the woods and Bigfoot's going to see you and go, my brother, that's what it is. <laughs> we solved it. <laughs> oh man well we are at the hour so i'm gonna go ahead and let you get back to the rest of your evening mr watson but thank you very kindly for joining me here once again always a pleasure thanks for having me man i always have a blast thank you yeah thank you to everybody for your questions and comments tonight um i think we got to all of them but if i missed any my, my sincere apologies we love talking with you guys and interacting with you here so keep the questions coming uh, join us next week for another edition of STM Live where we will be talking with somebody. Somebody. I'm not going to say who it was. I will say that their name was brought up tonight. So we'll leave it at that. We'll leave it at that. Have a great evening, everybody. Be safe. Be well. And we will see you next time. Peace. You've been listening to the Small Town Monsters Broadcasting Network. If you enjoyed this show, consider giving it a like, review, rating, or sharing it with a friend. And be sure to visit smalltownmonsters.com for more info about this and other STM projects.